We all have questions. We all need answers. It is on this program that we get our answers from the Bible. It's time to Ask the Preacher with Rev. Carl Gallops of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Milton, Florida. Welcome to another edition of Ask the Preacher. I'm your host, Mike Bates, and with me in the studio, as he is every Sunday morning, the pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Milton, Florida, Reverend Carl Gallops. Welcome, Carl. Hello, Mike. It's great to be here. Let's talk about a very controversial issue, not just in society, but even within churches, it's controversial. And that is evolution or creation. Where did we come from? We have had divisions within churches, within denominations. We've had the Scopes Monkey Trial, the today textbook arguments going on in public schools uh, over which you teach. Is it creation? Is it evolution? Is evolution a theory? Is evolution a fact? Lots of controversy here. Where did the world, the earth, human beings, animals, plants, etc., where did we all come from? Okay. God created them. Next show. Do you have okay. another question? Well, actually, well, you know, that, that is the correct answer. <laughs> That's the correct answer. <laughs> however, Who did not? <laughs> however, yeah. no. But see, that's well, the correct answer if it was evolution or creation. Right. Either way, God created it. So I guess let me rephrase. Well, All right. Welcome to this edition of Re-Ask the Preacher. <laughs> well, now I'm going to parse your words. I, 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 I want to beg to differ. I don't think that's the correct answer. Uh, in other words, the evolutionist wouldn't say that. When you said whether evolution did it or, or God did it, uh, a lot of people are, are trying to try to reconcile the two and say, well, you know, God started it, God created it, but then evolution took over. Well, the fallacy with that thinking is, number one, the evolutionist clearly does not say that. Adamantly, they do not say that. In fact, the whole theory of evolution, which, by the way, now is taught as fact, no longer is it taught as theory. Um, look at the History Channel. Look at the Learning Channel. Look at the Science mm -hmm. Channels. Uh, you, you know, look at the school textbooks. Never is it called a theory. It's always fact. But um, uh, bottom line is that evolution uh, uh, denies that there is a God. It is totally atheistic, denies that there is even the existence of God and that everything happened by a big cosmic uh, happenstance and, and just the right mix of energy and, 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 and chemicals. But uh, on the other hand, creation... Uh, according to the biblical view of creation, does not leave room for evolution at all. The first several chapters of Genesis make it very clear that God did this. He did it in instances over a six-day period, and that um, and that the species were completed. They were completed in their vast array. Uh, the 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 third chapter of uh, uh, the second chapter of uh, Genesis says that on the, after the sixth day, it says thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array, and God declared that it was very good. So the the two, uh, the two theories, and I'm going to call creation a theory right now, but you know what I really believe about it, uh, but the two theories stand absolutely juxtaposed to each other. So you cannot reconcile the two without creating a third uh, foreign uh, theory um, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a mesh and a mess of both of them together. But, but, the th but you're right though, Mike, this, this whole uh, debate is extremely controversial because it is the, the philosophy of the second 
secular culture. It is the educational philosophy of secular school systems um, uh, that that evolution is the fact. Um, where and, and 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 let me just as we begin this program, let me let me make a couple of defining statements. First of all, there is a difference between macroevolution and microevolution. Microevolution, that is small changes within species, ad- adaptation to environment, that is a scientific fact. That is observable, it is demonstrable, it is repeatable. By the way, those three elements are the necessary elements for the definition of something being scientific. Our third graders learn the definition of science. Nothing has scientific value unless it is observable, demonstrable, and repeatable. Okay, And our third graders learn that definition. Evolution has nothing that is demonstrable, nothing that is observable, nothing that is repeatable. Therefore, the whole theory of evolution is absolutely unscientific, and I will prove this in the next few moments. Well, when Charles Darwin went to the Galapagos on the HMS Beagle and Mm -hmm. did his um, theory, developed his theory. His research. His research. the, the, The evolution that he discovered had to do with the beaks of birds, the the ability to fly, things like that, which was, as you use the term, microevolution the variation within, between species within a species, That's right. uh, even beyond Charles Darwin. Dogs are a classic example of Horses. abilities, cats of human beings. Well, cats as well. Yeah. That you can you can create a species, mm-hmm. well, not a species. Excuse me. You can create a breed. You can create variations within species. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no true evidence, to my knowledge, of any cross-species evolution. Not only is there no evidence, but we now know scientifically through our understanding of genetics and, and DNA that it is impossible. You, you, there are genetic locks within the DNA structure and coding system we, uh, that prohibits one species from turning into another species, which is the whole premise of the theory of evolution. And so, so, so what are the scientific facts that we observe today? Well, that evolution is an impossibility. You see, Mike, with the advancement of true science, with the advancement of scientific knowledge, knowledge and technology in our culture, evolution becomes more and more of an embarrassment to the scientific community. Because with the advances of our studies in DNA, with the advances of our studies in embryology, with the advances of our studies in in genetics, with our advances in our studies of chromosomes, et cetera, which is genetics, um, uh, with our advances in in, in studies of chemical and molecular biology, we, we begin to see that the order of the universe is much more scientifically aligned, as is stated in the scriptures, by the way, than is stated by evolution. And so microevolution, uh, Mike, is a fact of science. Small changes and variations within species. That, I don't have a problem with that. But macroevolution, that is this theory of evolution that is polluting the minds of our young people and our educational system. Uh, Macroevolution states that there are these gigantic variations and changes from one species to another species over time. In other words, the classic example of monkeys become men. Uh, uh, so, So that is the theory of evolution, and there is not one piece of scientific evidence to support the theory of evolution. Now, Mike, that's an astounding claim that I just made, and it's an astounding fact to consider. It is taught as truth. It's taught as scientific fact. It has become the cultural truth of our day, yet there is not one single solitary piece of scientific evidence to even support it, much less prove it. Now, let me prove the statement I'm just making. Um, 
Oh, back in the middle 1990s, I don't remember the exact date, over at the University of West Florida, right here in, in the Milton Pensacola area, there was a debate, a public debate held by the dean of the School of Anthropology over there. His name is Dr. Terry Pruitt. I'll say his name. In fact, all of this is recorded. A prize video productions made the recording of it. It's all on uh, videotape. And you can contact that company here in town, get a copy of the tape. Um, I think also uh, Dr. Kent Hovind uh, in Pensacola, a uh, Institute over there. He's the head of that. I think he has a copy of this tape. It was his debate, actually. He debated this professor on evolution creation. It was open to the public. There were several hundred of us there that day. Um, Dr. Kent Hoven is a friend of mine. He asked me if I would come just as an observer. I did. I was sitting on the front row. Dr. Terry Pruitt opened up the discussion for questions and answers. People raised their hands. I raised my hand as coincidence would have it. I was the first person that he called upon. He didn't know who I was. And he asked for my question. My question was posed to him something like this. And I'm paraphrasing, but again, the listeners can get the tape, see it with their own eyes, hear it with their own ears. My question was, Dr. Pruitt, if you, since you are the professor of anthropology here, you have a doctor's degree in this, you're the head of this department, obviously you know your stuff. I said, could you please give us one single solitary piece of scientific evidence that would support the theory of evolution? Just give us one. And I said, now remember, the word science Scientific is defined by the basic definition of science. Uh, for something to have scientific value, it must be observable, demonstrable, and repeatable. I said, our third graders learned that, Dr. Pewitt. I said, so could you please now give us w just one? That's all I'm asking for. I said, surely there must be thousands of pieces of evidence, so you can just give us one. Mike, you could have heard a pin drop. He stopped, he hung his head, he shuffled his feet, he grappled for words, and then he finally said something like, I don't really like that question. And then everybody laughed and his I, face turned red because he realized it was how, probably the answer. He it didn't was really the like. answer. <laughs> and then he said, well, he said, uh, in order for something now this was his answer, he said, in order for something to be scientific, it does not have to have scientific evidence. It just has to have that all scientists agree to it as fact. That was his answer, Mike. Now, now the problem with that answer is, number one, yes, it does have to have scientific evidence in order for something to be deemed scientifically valuable. That is a common sense fact of scientific research, number one. So his first statement was incorrect. Second of all, not all scientists agree that evolution is correct. There are over 900 prominent scientists who have gone on record stating that it is a farce. In fact, Dr. Robert Millikan, who's in the World Book Encyclopedia, He's a Nobel Prize winner in physics. Uh, he's dead now, died in the 50s or 60s. But he made the statement that evolution is the cultural myth of the 20th century. Now we're into the 21st century now. But, but I mean, these are prominent, prominent, award-winning scientists, over 900 of them on record. So the second part of his statement is, is false. And then the third part of the, that goes with that is... Hey, um, I can remember a time, or I don't personally remember, but history bears out that there was a time when all scientists thought the earth was flat. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the fact is, in 1492, uh, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Uh, we discovered, of course, that the earth was not flat, in fact. And, and, and in fact, the Bible in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 20 and 21, uh, had said that was written 700 years before Christ. Uh, Jesus was here 2,000 years ago. So 2,700 years ago, Isaiah said these words. He said, do you not know? Do you not remember? Have I not told you from the beginning that the 
Lord sits enthroned in the universe above the circumference of the earth or the circle of the earth. Those are English words I'm using, but the Hebrew word there means the ball. In fact, the book of Job says that the earth is a ball that hangs in space upon nothing. Those books were written thousands of years ago, and it wasn't until just the last handful of hundreds of years that we've discovered these facts to be absolute scientific truth. So the Bible has been accurate for 3,000 years on these topics, or 4,000 years, whereas science is just catching up to it. So t Dr. Pruitt's answer was ludicrous, ludicrous, but it proves the point that I just made, the statement I made earlier. There's not one piece of scientific evidence. Mike, consider if there were, wouldn't it have been so easy for him to say, well, certainly, Mr. Gallups, that's a fair question, and here they are, and then turn around on the blackboard and start writing down tens or twenties of, of, of scientific evidences. But as a matter of fact, not only could he not, but he did not do it because he could not, but, but he said right up front, I, I don't like the question. Well, he didn't like the question as you laughed because he knew the answer that he had to give. So, so there is not, there is not one piece of valid scientific evidence to support the theory of evolution. Um, I know we're going to have to take a break here in just a moment, but to just give you an example of how ludicrous this is, right here on this radio station, oh, I guess a year ago, somebody called in. He was a zoological expert. I, I know his name. I don't, I don't want to embarrass him on the program, but he called into a, a call-in show and he asked the trivia question, what is the... Uh, 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 oldest living relative still alive to the woolly mammoth, and it's living here in Florida today. And then they went away and came back for the break. It was kind of a little trivia question for a prize and, and uh, came back. And the answer was the Florida manatee. Well, of course, you know, it was espoused as this great scientific revelation. And I'm sure people listening to the radio gasped and said, oh, isn't that interesting? The Florida manatee, the oldest living relative to the woolly mammoth. Now, wait a minute, Mike. Wait a minute. Stop. What scientific evidence do we have to support that claim? The DNA shows that woolly mammoths and Florida manatees are two completely different structures and species. Do we have any skeletal remains of a half woolly mammoth and half Florida manatee? Not one skeletal remain. Are there any half woolly mammoths and half Florida manatees still alive so that we can make this logical scientific deduction? Not one. What scientific evidence is there to say that the Florida manatee is the nearest living relative to the woolly mammoth? Not one piece of scientific evidence. So why is that statement made? Because the evolutionist wants it to be so, wishes it to be so, desires it to be so, yet without scientific fact. Yet our school children, Mike, are taught in school these kinds of ludicrousies as truth, and they're told that it is scientific fact. Nothing could be further from the truth. There could be not a bigger lie perpetuated upon the children and youth and the, uh, of this nation than the, than the lie of evolution. And I'm convinced that out of this lie has all, have come all kinds of social ills and evils to our culture, because when you tell children for generation after generation after generation that they're nothing more than a cosmic accident and they came from an animal, then it doesn't surprise me that they're going to sometimes act like a cosmic accident that came from an animal and that our crime rates will go up and our venereal disease rates will go up and our, uh, and, and our violence will go up, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me that we have an abortion holocaust now as the value of life has been degraded. It doesn't surprise me that we have a radical homosexual movement that's sweeping our nation because the value and understanding of life and human sexuality has been degraded. Evolution is one of the biggest evils and biggest social ills ever perpetuated upon this nation, in my humble opinion. Okay. Well, there is a third theory out there. You've got creation, you've got evolution, and there's another one, 
intelligent design, and we'll discuss that when Ask the Preacher continues. Welcome back to Ask the Preacher. I'm Mike Bates. Carl Gallups of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church is with us, and we're discussing evolution versus creation, and also the theory, which is relatively new, and that is sort of a compromise between the two, and that is intelligent design. Yes, there's been evolution. Yes, the world is six billion years old, but God has controlled every aspect of that evolution and that six billion year history. What well, do you say to that? Well, really, Mike, uh, again, uh, uh, to 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 correct your words just a little bit, um, the theory of intelligent design does not speak to evolution at all, and it's not a compromise. Um, now, the statement you made of God started it and evolution took over, that's a whole nother thing. But the theory and understanding of intelligent design is proof of one of the scientific proofs that t that point towards creationism rather than evolution. In other words, evolution says there is no intelligence there is no design. It's a cosmic accident based upon certain energy forces and chemicals that came together with a big bang that just happened to have taken place billions of years ago. That's what evolution says. No God, no intelligence, no design. It's a cosmic accident, and we're here through a process. Okay. Intelligent design, on the other hand, says look at the scientific evidence. Something is deemed to be designed if it has these three elements, form, function, and purpose. A form, that then performs a function, but not just a function, but the function has to have a purpose as well. Okay, So if you look at a, um, an automobile, does it have a form? In other words, it's not just a, 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 a mess of metal. Uh, it, it has a certain form that you recognize it as an automobile. Does it have a function? Well, yes. I mean, there are many functions of an automobile. It rolls down the road. Does that function serve a purpose? Well, yes. It transports human beings and products, etc. And so it has form. It has function. It has a purpose. Therefore, it must have an intelligent designer. Nobody would walk into the middle of a desert and see an automobile sitting there and say, hmm, that must have come from a mushroom through billions of years of lightning hitting a rock. Nobody would say that. That would be ridiculous. Although that's what evolution says <laughs> about life. Now look at a human body. Do humans have form such that you could recognize one human from another human as opposed to a tree? Of course they have a form. Does that form have a function? Of course it has function. We have all kinds of functioning systems within our body. Do, do those functions serve purposes? Of course they serve purposes. That's common sense. So the human life form, by scientific definition, has to be an intelligently designed organism and not a happenstance. On the other hand... Somebody spills a milkshake on the ground, and it's a big mess. All right? Does it have a form? Well, yeah, kind of, sort of. Uh, does it have a function? No, not really. Does it have a purpose? No, not at all. What, what is that? It's an accident. Mm -hmm. Okay? It's not an intelligent design. It wasn't designed intelligently. It was an accident. So there's the definition of intelligent design, Mike. Intelligent design. You can look at, look at a flower. Does it have a form? Yes. Does, does it have function? Yes, many functioning systems. Does it have a purpose? has a lot of purposes. Uh, uh, in fact, it affects our entire ecology and, en and environment. It has a form, function, uh, uh, purpose. It's a design. It's an intelligent design. A flower is not a happenstance uh, mistake, a cosmic accident. It is an intelligent design. I, it's very simple. I've, I've oversimplified this because we don't have much time here. But that's, that's the science of and the theory of intelligent design. Does belief in creationism also require one to believe that God did it 
in 144 hours? Was it six literal 24-hour days that he created the world? Or could one say, well, I believe in creationism, but I do also believe that the world is six billion years old and the dinosaurs existed 65 million years ago? Or is that just completely wrong? And if you don't believe that it's 144 hours, then you're wrong. Well, obviously there are Christians uh, within both of these camps that you just defined. Let me tell you the camp I'm in and let me tell you why. And let me tell you what my opinion is to the the answer to your question. I'm in the camp of a six literal day creation. Um, I'm of the camp that this earth is about six to 10,000 years old based upon the best biblical, historical, and scientific evidence we have. Now, the truth is no human being alive today knows the exact age of the earth, regardless of what approach they take. No one knows for sure because obviously we weren't here then. But taking the biblical evidence, six to 10,000 years is is accurate um, and six literal days. Now, why do I do that? Because I'm fundamental or because it's just easier to speak of it that way? Absolutely not, because the preponderance of scientific and biblical evidence indicates this. Let me tell you why. First of all, in the book of Genesis, when it speaks of the different day periods that this creation took place, two things that are very important. Number one, if you'll look at the different ecological systems that were given on these days, they are all dependent upon one another. They could not have waited a billion years around for each other, or a million years, or a thousand years, or a year. A plant needs sun. Uh, Animals need plants, etc., etc. They were all created on different days. Now, so number one, the scientific common sense analysis of it demands that these days be if not literal, very close to literal, they can't be set by epochs of time apart from each other because they are ecological systems that depend upon one another. All right. Number two, when you examine the Hebrew word used for day in those texts, it denotes the regular word used for a 24-hour period of time. Okay. Number two, Number three, when you get into the New Testament, and for a Bible-believing Christian as I am, I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. I believe that when he speaks, he speaks truthfully, and he knows what he speaks of. In the New Testament, Jesus himself said this statement, just as God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, so must man observe the Sabbath, etc., etc. And he goes on to speak about the Sabbath. But the point is, is he emphatically uses the word six days, and in the Greek word, in those words, uh, it, he, he speaks of literal days, and in the context of his conversation, he speaks of literal days. Now, why would Jesus uh, be so literal and so specific if that were not true, if he's God in the flesh? And I believe that he is, and I believe he was literal, and I believe he was specific. And second of all, why would the word day not denote an epic period of time rather than a 24-hour period, but it does in the Hebrew and the Greek. And number three, the scientific necessity of these ecological systems depending upon one another being created in close proximity to each other. So with that little bit of time we have left, I will say, yes, this is why I believe it was six literal days. The Bible says that clearly uh, at every level that you want to interpret it, and it makes scientific sense. And then added to that, I believe when you examine the biblical records and the genealogies from, from Adam to where we are today, there's a, it, it's about, depending upon how one translates certain passages of Scripture, uh, the earth is about and mankind is about six to 10,000 years old. So how do you account for scientists who, through carbon dating and other methods, say that these bones were discovered in Africa and they, we yeah. carbon dated well, them to 50,000 years old? Yeah, Professor Willard Libby, who invented the carbon dating process, he himself said that that process could be as, as much as 200% inaccurate. Why? Because carbon dating can only, number one, can only date 
accurately previously living things. Right. Number two, it can only date accurately those living things that absorbed carbon in the decay process at a certain rate. Well, you can't hold that constant because there are all kinds of variations and factors. Was it catastrophic burial? In other words, was it volcanic uh, burial death? Was it, uh, by the way, those are the only kinds of uh, burials that can produce fossils, catastrophic burials. If, if, if I put a living organism in the ground, it rots. But if you catastrophically bury it through a volcanic or an earthquake or a worldwide flood, for example, you can fossilize elements under extreme pressure and heat, etc. So, so uh, carbon dating, uh, oh, we've taken living organisms. Uh, creationists have taken living, previously living organisms that have been dead just a, a few months or a few years and taken them to carbon dating experts, and they would date them at 35,000 years old and 50,000 years old. I mean, it's ridiculous. There's a preponderance of evidence and writings to show that carbon dating is probably one of the most inaccurate dating resources that we have. Well, unfortunately, Carl, we are flat out of time. Yeah, <laughs> we as always. We could go forever on this subject. As always. Well, the bottom line is, is that the truth is never, uh, the Bible is never catching up to truth. The truth is always catching up to the Word of God. <laughs> More information on this subject and others is available at your church's website, www.hickoryhammockbaptist.org. Would you please, Carl, close us in prayer? I'd be glad to. Lord Jesus, right here and now, we acknowledge you as the supreme creator of the universe and life and all that is is all that is life. We acknowledge that you are the Lord of life. I pray, Lord, that we've taken uh, that you'll take that what we've said here today uh, and speak it to the hearts of listeners. The truth of your word, the Creator, Jesus Christ, and it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen.